Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a brand new show on the Ringer Podcast Network dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish Feed, I'll be talking with my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV and movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish Feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, straight from the cleansing waters of Mandalore, Mm. it's Andy Greenwald! Uh, I mean, it is getting pricey because... You know, like the Instagram influencers have found it. Yeah, I the know. Healing properties. It's like the, the blue pools of uh, of Croatia. It's like, yeah, suddenly everyone's in Portugal. Yeah. I get <laughs> it. By the way, um, we got a big show. Uh-huh. But I do think that people have appreciated, maybe not as much as we've appreciated, being back in the studio. And one thing that I think that I missed that I don't think they, the listeners, will ever really understand is that right as you do the intro, you have an f- expression on your face that's like, is he really committed to doing this podcast today? <laughs> Me? Yeah. To you? Like a li- it's like a little bit like like Division Three college basketball coach being like, How, what am I getting today? <laughs> you know, like there are other things maybe. I never doubt his. you. I appreciate that. I, it's been 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. And you never call in sick. 27 years. Uh, Andy, today on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about Barry Ending. Uh, and this and this season of endings that we're entering into in the springtime with Succession, mm. Ted Lasso, and Barry. The Thought Watch we might podcast, do a perhaps. quick check in on what's up with Apple TV as a venture. Uh, just get get under the hood, look at what's going on there. They have mm. like four or five shows coming out between now and May uh, with some incredibly eye popping talent involved. But like, I want to chat a little bit about whether or not we think that the Apple TV message is getting through to people. Uh, we're gonna do maybe. You, are we going to do any Mandalorian? Um, we could note note it. We can note Mandalorian. And then we're going to talk about Perry Mason. So Perry Mason's first episode of the second season came out on Monday. Uh, the second episode is coming out next Monday, obviously. Uh, it's a show that you and I both 
I would almost go as far as say love. I would like, I mean, we, we really, really are into this show. I like the first season quite a bit. I think the second season is a huge leap. And we're going to be joined by, with a spe- by a special guest today to talk about it. And that is Matthew Reese. The, star, the titular Perry Mason. That's right. One of my favorite things also, not just to have Matthew Reese, who's one of our favorite actors and a lovely guy. I love it when guests come back on the podcast, but you're like, has he ever been on the podcast? I'm well, like, you should just send me a list of everybody you've interviewed on the podcast. I think that you should know, like multiplication tables. You should just have that available to you. You know? Um, let's start with just briefly noting, HBO put up the trailer for the, uh, the new season of Barry, uh, and it will be the last season of Barry. So Barry, obviously, for anybody, I guess, spoilers for Barry, but Barry is in prison. Uh, it's in the trailer. And uh, I think that when... That season, the previous season ended and that that was like sort of Barry becoming incarcerated was obviously uh, in mm-hmm. the cards. I think this is such a sick way to end the show. And I, I just want to say to the people out there mm-hmm. calling their own shots and being like, this is the end of the story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. I salute you. I don't, there's nothing wrong with doing Grey's Anatomy for 20 years. I think it's awesome. And I think like there, I'm, I'm really into shows being long running propositions. Yeah. But damn, when you can just be like, this is the story I wanted to tell, and I got other wow. stuff I want to do. You're really forcing my hand for the podcast announcement I was not going to make today. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is the story I wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, you, you had one more sort of half-hearted <laughs> <laughs> endorsement of some piece of pop culture. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm surprised. So I thought fourth and final is a thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that, I thought that the Barry information was not new. It's being treated like a surprise, but I, I thought that that was communicated when the show was renewed. Well, I know that he wrote three and four pretty, mm-hmm. if not entirely together. I think they did. Yeah. I don't know that they ever came out and publicly it, said that. It seemed pretty clear by the nature of... Well, I mean, the thing with Barry is that if they had wanted to, yeah, they could have just said, now Barry is getting in a car and driving to Oklahoma and will start a life as a bartender. Like, the Barry character right. and the sort of cinematic world that Bill Hader inhabits with that show and how it can be a broad comedy or a thrilling action movie or a horror show or a dreamscape. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that bucket show where you can throw anything you want into it. it. And yeah. so if they wanted to do Barry in the Florida Keys, I would have watched it. I would TiVo that shit. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, there it is. It would be well positioned to be a darker poker face. But I do think that you get into that kind of tricky area where the things that, to my mind, make Barry very, very special, not just entertaining, are related to the fact that no matter how broad the comedy gets, Hater is laser focused on the morality of the story he's telling. Like that does seem to matter to him. And the show does seem to be about a essentially a monster who. You know, the show has also, during its run, told us things about his trauma, about his reasons for doing things, even tried to show us his point of view, that it kind of makes sense if you believe that he loves Mr. Cousineau, which he does, et cetera, et cetera. But to walk away from the baggage, I think, would be uh, contradicting Mm -hmm. the things that made him interested in the character in the first place. I also wonder if it's just, it's the show is so wildly and well-plotted. And from what we heard in the announcement of the fourth season, Hader directed this whole season himself. Mm-hmm. He went full auteur. Shout out Sam Esmail. And that's tiring. Yeah. That's it's ex- tiring. It's also exciting for us as viewers. Though. Very exciting. But it does create 
an event horizon that I don't know if this podcast is ready for, which is, I believe it's May 28th. If things hold, schedules hold, if there's no scheduled rest days, uh, no slipping during pregames like Kevin Durant last night, Succession and Barry are going to end on the same night. That's crazy. That's not fair to us, really. Like, this is the studio we talked to Casey. No, it's not. They all look the same. But the point is, Casey, what are you doing to us? Well, and then they'll also be airing on the same Sunday nights, which is what we have been longing for to get back to our... Tonight, I am sitting on the couch for two hours to watch must-see television, right? That's true. I do love that. That will be really, really exciting. And challenging for you. <laughs> Very challenging. I, whew, You saw me sweat a little bit. But yeah. that, I mean, it almost does the shows a disservice to end to Pantheon shows on the same night. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. Look at you. Yeah. Um, why don't we... You're, you're very open to what the world brings you. You know, I think that's a healthier attitude. I just don't think that we have very many uh, captive experiences anymore. Wow. Like even Ted Lasso and Mandalorian, which are two of the biggest sort of cultural phenomenons, if not like numbered hits on TV right now. Like Mandalorian goes up in the middle of the night on Tuesday I, I don't even know what time Ted Lasso airs, quote unquote, but it's like you can watch it at your leisure. Yeah. You know, it's like the idea that these two things yeah. will be careening towards an ending is is very 2013-14 vibes. It is. And for as much as we are big fans of many other shows on the Home Box Office Network, whether it's White Lotus, which is coming back. I like or, the maximum Home Box Office Network personally. Or but, Perry Mason. Oh, yeah. you you like Home Box Office Maximum. Yes. That's that's the very I like that's very formal. I like that a lot. Home box office Maximilian. Yeah. What is in the hopper for them that will feel like this, you know, um, in terms of shows building to something so that it feels like an event? I mean, I do think from talking to Casey, that is always their goal. I do think they understand that that type of show relationship week to week and then season to season significantly matters to them. I, I feel like we could concern troll, but then it's like winning time is going to come back and House of the Dragon oh, will eventually be back. And they I don't have mean like, they don't have anything in the hopper that we're going to love and talk about and obsess over, but specifically, these two shows are maybe overly important to us in the way we like to watch TV yeah. and podcast yeah, about yeah. it in that over a period of years, we have grown incredibly attached to and fond of and that relationship with the shows building to that moment that feels like this is this is a sports Super Bowl kind of, sorry, all, all Super Bowl are sports. <laughs> I keep that because I deserve to learn from my mistakes. This is as if they played a sport at the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's almost as if, what if in sports there was a championship <laughs> and you played games up to a last game and whoever won that game was the winner? Yeah. What if we did sports like that? Yeah. I'll, I'll let Bill know. Free idea. <laughs> sports are. Free idea. Um. You know, I wanted to mention this. I had like a little bit of a thing about like, you know, these shows ending. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, I don't have a thing. I was just noting that it was happening. You were going to play your fiddle. And, uh, you know, I was, I was reading some of the Ted Lasso stuff as a, that show, I believe, comes back this week. It's also ending too, right? Didn't he say that? Oh, this is the final season, Ted Lasso. Yeah. And Sudeikis has been very clear that this is the uh, show he wants, this is the story he wanted to tell. Like, this is like this three. It, it premieres next week, the next 15th. Week. And that this was like a, a sort of three part story. I had kind of wondered whether or not Richmond was going to do the entire Leicester City arc. So, for people who don't know, in the Premier League, Leicester City was this kind of. Um, yeah, I don't know, underdog team. They had gone down for out of the Premier League. They had been promoted. And then they went on to miraculously win the Premier League in a in a way that like no one could have possibly imagined and probably may never happen again. And I had just noted with interest that that was that that Richmond, the team 
that that Ted Lasso uh, manages was on that kind of journey. Right. But it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. I thought maybe it would be four seasons and that like he would win the Premier League. But I think that obviously the soccer or football is uh, secondary to Ted Lasso at this point, where mm. it's like a little bit more about the characters and a little bit more about the interpersonal relationships is, between the people around the is football Is that team. disappointing to you? Do you wish there was just liquid football? Uh, don't give away my idea of Ted Lasso spinoff. It's just liquid football, and it's nobody from Ted Lasso. It's just me managing. Yes. <laughs> what, if, what if your take was, what if TV shows were more like sports? <laughs> That's your... Um, but it kind of goes to a larger conversation I wanted to have with you about yeah. Apple. Yeah. Because Ted Lasso is inarguably the flagship show of Apple TV. Mm-hmm. I think Morning Show was conceived as such, but it didn't feel like that show... This is the thing. I want to say it didn't feel like that show made an impact or like crossed over in any way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that matters to Apple literally at all. And I also don't know how to gauge that because I'm sure there is like a huge, maybe not particularly online group of people who are like, Morning Show is one of my favorite shows or I watch Morning Show every week or Morning Show is like the most entertaining thing I've had in my life. And by the way, Morning Show isn't done. It's coming back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but go on. Um, but without Ted Lasso, Apple mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have that flagship show ready to step up. Well, yes and no. I think I think the the thing that's confounding about Apple and its place in the television marketplace, it continues to be confusing. Here, here's an example. It's always been the same thing that has been confusing, which is it's just so much richer than everybody else, mm-hmm. and this is a vanity project, and it doesn't matter. I don't mean to say that um, the incredible list of creators are doing things in vain. Like, there no. have been great Apple TV shows. There are many more on the way. It just continues to be inescapable that it's almost a lark for them. And the reasonings behind what they do and why they do what they do and what they put their clout behind does remain opaque to a degree that it doesn't, even with something like Netflix, which has historically been very, very reticent to share data or decision making. But because it is more, attuned to or affected by the economy or the stock market or share prices, we, we can infer things. We see the decisions that they make and there have been, there's been upheaval, clearly, that we've talked about a lot, um, talked about a lot on the podcast. It's kind of like, you're, you're going to love this. And 15% of the audience is going to love this too. But I've been so sports heavy on this show thus far. Uh-huh. I got a zag. So we got we to we give something out to the geek culture. <laughs> Do, have you ever heard of a... Uh, uh, a, a Marvel comic character called the Beyonder. You ever heard about that? I want you to be like straight up. This one goes out to my mouth breathers yes, out there. This is my. <laughs> come on, the Android. All Dungeon my guys who've never had a date. This <laughs> one's for you. Do you guys know Beyonder? Listen, there was. They don't even let you on Bumble, dog. <laughs> this is. What's the name of this character you're doing now? Where you're the fucking alpha. Who's just like, this Ted Lasso has too many feelings in it. I just want slide tackles and running the table. Holler at me when you get a date, nerds. This is, this is good. I think Matthew Reese is going to enjoy this energy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, um, no, there was a thing, there was a, a big comic event that actually is relevant again soon in the movies called Secret Wars, uh-huh. the original one in the 80s. Where basically that one's going to be written by Jeff Loveness, right? <laughs> I feel like that. I laughed just because anything <laughs> involving Jeff Loveness being like, "Hey, I'm on this one. Here's some interviews about my feelings," is worth. Uh, 
I think that's true. Jeff Loveness weighs in on Ted Lasso season three. Is this the story they wanted to <laughs> Too tell? Too much football. Um, anyway, it means something different now than it did then. But in the 80s, they created this character called the Beyonder, who was just like a dude with a, a jerry curl and a white leisure suit who was an infinitely powered god alien who could do whatever he wanted. And then the idea of him being like, hey, Thor and Spider-Man, let's do something. And they were like, you can do anything you want. That's the TV landscape. That was not worth the squeeze. Yeah. To make but that no, analogy. But it was, I think it was the funniest part of this pod but so far. Really, I really, I think we've had some other good, I liked it when you laughed when I said I was ending the podcast <laughs> because you'll cry later <laughs> when we find out this was the moment. Um, all of this is to say, Apple continues to greenlight things and buy things and attract talent at a degree that is almost obscene. Mm -hmm. There are a number of projects in their docket that are exciting to us, film and TV. We're going to be watching this stuff. But their relationship to the things they've made is interesting. So Ted Lasso, to your point, everyone was scratching their heads when Jason Sudeikis and his collaborators and Bill Lawrence sold this commercial character from that was NBC our, Universal. An NBC sports character that was supposed to be a promo thing yeah. for the Premier League and, on NBC. Yeah. And I think anecdotally, we heard even within Apple, they were like, well, what's this? It, they, were just, they were still in the throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks phase. As we've learned historically with TV net networks and streamers, you never can predict the thing that's going to be your thing. And that became their defining show, won awards, and they were all in on it. In, to a degree, I think you're right, that the morning show, which was really like Netflix with House of Cards, like we're going to outbid everyone and we're going to do something splashy. Mm -hmm. It was a different sort of thing. Severance was really big for them. And I don't just mean numbers-wise, because we don't know, but that really laid down a marker in terms of the creative community, in terms of awards. And we've seen that borne out with how they've treated it. There have been tons of ads, tons of FYC stuff. You go into an Apple store, like Severance is making its presence felt. And I would imagine the second season will be greeted. You go into an Apple store, it's a super long hallway and then Christopher Walken's <laughs> in the back. <laughs> Dancing. Yeah. Uh, just passionately making out with John Turturro on a thousand screens. Um, I bring this up because the thing that is most Dis not, uh, disturbing is a loaded word. It's just been really weird to see. They spend a ton of money on their shows and they get a lot of talent. And then if they change their mind or if they're not invested, you can kind of tell. I'm not bringing up Hello Tomorrow because I wish the show ill. I, we love Billy Crudup. I have met the guys who make the show. I Stephen Falk from You're the Worst worked on it. That pilot is beautiful. Production is outrageous. Jonathan Entwistle directed it. You get the feeling. This is anecdotal. We are not you crunching numbers here. But isn't there a feeling like, did this even happen? Like, it does not feel supported well, in a way that an expensive show starring a, an Emmy Award winner might be. And I do think that if this was, you get into that weird conversational place where, well, if this was an AMC show under our stewardship, of course, um, they would be pushing it harder because they would have committed a lot to it. Then there's also the flip side. They couldn't have afforded to commit all this to it. Yeah, I, you, this, you mentioned the Netflix thing with House of Cards. This kind of reminds me of um, the era of Netflix, which we very well may still be in, but I think Netflix generally makes different shows now, different, different kind of shows. I still find out about Netflix shows that I watch. You know, I was making the list of the things that mm -hmm. I have watched more than one episode of so far, and uh, there's several Netflix shows on there. I find out about them almost exclusively within the ecosystem of Netflix. Mm -hmm. So it'll either be recommended to me because I watched something else or I see that it's in the tiles on Netflix. But it is not because I was 
catch, I caught a Netflix trailer on YouTube or because there was an ad for something or a billboard or even an article, honestly. Mm -hmm. So like I'm watching this uh, Netflix show right now called uh, Red Rose, which is like Hmm. basically a Black Mirror episode tacked on top of skins. Wow. Uh, And it's, it's like, it's pretty stressful, honestly, but it's like, it's, it's really good. I can't believe you have time to watch that amidst your heavy diet of Saul Bellow documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> what a life. Um, I, I feel like ways that's starting to happen with Apple. Where like, I, I know about Apple shows from Apple press releases, but I don't know that like, so like there's a bunch of stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks to months. Mm-hmm. Big Door Prize, which is a Chris O'Dowd, like heartwarming comedy, I think. Uh, Silo, which is the one I'm most excited about, which is this dystopian sci-fi uh, show that Graham Yost is show running. And Graham Yost obviously worked, is, is the person behind Justified and is just like one of the great kind of TV and movie screenwriters of the last 20, 30 years. Can I just weigh in for a second? Mm-hmm. Silo looks sick. Yeah. Like that trailer is a great trailer. Yeah. Who knows what the show is going to be, but you often you don't often see everything. All the pieces come together. It's to basically like a the remnants like of human society live underground after an ecological disaster, but then there starts to be a suspicion about what they have been told about said ecological it's, disaster or the state of the world. Is it lost from Desmond's perspective? Right, but it's Rebecca Ferguson, it's Tim Robbins, Rashida Jones, David Oyelowo. That's wild yeah. to me. That's just something else that they have that I guess is based on books that well, I well, and then. About. Tack on to that, Extrapolations, mm-hmm. yeah. which is this Scott Burns show. Scott Burns wrote Contagion, has worked with Soderbergh a bunch. And Scott Burns has, honestly, the, like a cast that if it was in a movie, you would think it was a parody of a movie cast. Yep. Where it's like Meryl Streep and Ed Norton and Kit Harington and <laughs> Sienna Miller and all these people making appearances. This is like an anthology show about climate change that seems to be an interlocking kind of casting forward in the next 50 years. Also looks incredible. And looks incredible. The- Forrest Whitaker is in this. And the, if you look at like, we, we spent a lot of time pissing and moaning about special effects, but I have to say like, Apple does not cheap out when it comes to this stuff. No, it, it, I guess the thing, the other thing that you probably hear in our voice when we talk about this is much like a, a leisure suited space god, we don't know what to make of this. Like there's just a seemingly endless tap of wild looking stuff that they are investing in. And it's tough to get a handle on what they want out of their service, what they're trying to be, because no one else would have given Scott Burns the carte blanche to do extrapolations. No one would. I mean, I'm sure HBO took a meeting. I'm sure people had good intentions, but the cost alone, you know, I I just don't see it versus what what the reward is. And so, but maybe the answer to this is, before I answer your question, is we're seeing a service that doesn't need to play by those rules where they have to be a thing. You and don't need to go there to expect a certain thing. Aesthetically, or if, or, I don't know, it's aesthetically or in terms of like editorial curation, I do feel like that there is an undercurrent of like affirmative yes. or important programming. Like Apple greenlights stuff that they think ultimately trickles up to their brand values. This or is like a, their, this their is forward-facing accurate. brand values. And, and right? this is... This so is spending... $200 million, or I'm just throwing out a number. I have no idea how much extrapolations cost. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that show later. But that is about like the dangers of climate change, which most big corporations yes. at least say that they're concerned about. Yes. That is like an investment in an idea that is important to Apple. That affirms their brand. And if yeah. money is literally no object to somebody, yep. maybe that's... Yeah, and we've heard um, both anecdotally and um, just directly that... 
what's communicated in meetings with Apple, whether you're pitching something to them or whether you're in the notes process, is the slow, insistent curve towards affirmation. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of, there's a Spielbergian sentiment to the things that they want to do. I mean, Coda won Best Picture. That that is very on brand for them. Ted Lasso, despite what the people maybe who were who'd come over from Sony and were used to a different type of studio thing, that's that is their brand and it is what they want. Big ticket sci-fi. It was disappointing for me as somebody who wanted to see seven episodes dedicated to set piece practice. Yes, see guys take free kicks. I'm (laughs) I'm sad for you that that was taken from you. Yeah, but like these big sci-fi stuff, whether it's Foundation, which is coming back, or Sam's Metropolis, which which Mm -hmm. is coming to life finally for them, that all fits within that brand. I think what's curious is how it's almost like is Severance a model for what they want to be, which is we're going to be. We, we're we're playing with HBO here. We want to do this sort of stuff. Um, or is it an outlier in the way that something like Master of None proved to be an outlier for Netflix, where it was like, we're we, we going to do this. We feel good about it. And it's going to get us awards and acclaim and interest from a certain type of viewer, but it is not part of our larger brand strategy. And then looking down the road, Apple won the bidding war for the new Vince Gilligan show, which is going to star Ray, uh, Seahorn. Ray Seahorn. And it is not... Um, you know, it's non-Albuquerque. Maybe he'll end up shooting there, but it is not uh, it's extended not yeah. Heisenberg universe yeah. stuff. There's a pre. There's two reasons why it ended up there. The people who run Apple TV uh, used to run Sony, and Sony made Breaking Bad. There's a history of a relationship there. That's reason number one. Reason number two is they outbid everyone else. Mm-hmm. Does Vince Gilligan's brand and what we want from him fit? The Apple metric, well, or does I mean, it even matter? Does Shining Girls fit the Apple metric? Like, is Shining Girls coming back? But is Shining Girls was not an affirmative show. Like it wasn't no, like a. It's a it great. Was, it's great to be kind. It kind was of show. not. And this brings us all the way back. Did it get a huge push? Right. This is not the steadiest footing for us to be on as deeply informed fact based podcasters to be like. Doesn't feel like it's being supported. We you know don't have, know that. But you know what's so? Let but, me let me do some good podcasting then. Ooh. This is illustrative of. HBO has had this run for the yep. last half a year, pretty much going back to winning time last year, mm-hmm. at least, if not before that, where it's just like, man, every 10 weeks, there's just another really banger show that's on Sunday nights, you know? Yep. And if, if it's not, even if it's not entirely your thing, it's kind of worth checking out and you then find out like, oh, most of the people I work with or like people in my family or friends or whatever are watching Last of Us mm-hmm. or whatever. Like they've now had the headlock on for two, three quarters now. Apple is putting out probably the sum total of the budgets that they're spending on Extrapolation, Silo, The Last Thing You Told Me, Liaison, Ghosted, The Movie, Schmigadoon Season 2, Big Door Prize, all the Ted Lasso, all the stuff that's coming out in a relatively small bunch. Yeah. I would imagine dwarf most HBO shows with the exception of House of the Dragon. You mean budget-wise? Oh, without question. I mean, we didn't even talk about like Shantaram. I mean, yeah. th- that, that's such a big show. 12 episodes. and it, On location in India. Yeah. And it exists. Yeah. That's something that definitely was made. So, look, at, I mean, I think obviously you and I are both very excited about extrapolations. We're both very excited about Silo. I do feel like for our sins, we need to watch Liaison, the Vincent Cassell spy show. I think that's probably true. City on Fire also from our buddy Josh Schwartz right. is coming soon. Yeah, it, it's interesting. We... I'm not negative. Is there a trailer for City on Fire? Like, when is it? Not yet. Okay. Um, it's coming out in May. I, I'm not negative about any of this stuff. Me neither. I'm I'm just curious. I'm curious, and I do think that... Like a Beyonder, almost. T- 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 <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. It, it is... 
there's a larger conversation lurking behind this that will become less subtext and more text over the next few weeks as we get closer to a potential writer's strike and just the sort of ripple effects of this really weird, really unpleasant contraction moment in, in TV becomes more evident that it's, it, it, it feels like weird, like late capitalism stuff where it's like, no one can get anything made. And then you get everything made and all the money you want you win the Apple lottery and Apple's like shrug emoji. Does it, you got to do it, but no one got to see it. Right. Now, is it marketing that kept Shantaram from becoming an international sensation? Probably not. I don't know. I did not watch it, and I apologize to the people who busted their ass for like a decade, literally more, to get that on the screen. But there is a there is a creeping feeling that I don't think is just me in this podcast booth being like, "This is all really hard." Yeah. And need and and what's it for? It's not a good. It's let's, not good. Let's vibes have this conversation in right two months once we're done watching the next. 32 amazing shows. Well, I mean, just like, well, after after Silo extrapolations in Ted Lasso, let's let's do a gut check on this. Yeah, and not just the Apple part, but like, okay, so who's making what and wh- why yeah. is a good thing to talk about. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time on Mandalorian, but I want to say one thing. Yeah. You know, I thought Rachel Morrison, the director, did a really good job on this episode. There were yes. some really cool shots. I actually thought it, it even pretty. though it was obviously shot in the volume, it kind of looked like a, a real sun was hitting real characters' faces at times, and she's yeah. obviously this hugely accomplished director of photography previously. Also, just little things, like she fire- shot Black Panther, and she's, like, really, really good. Yeah, at- an amazing, like, Hall of Fame DP who's transitioning to being a, a director full-time. Um, yeah, little things, like fireworks glinting yeah. off of the cockpit. Like, I, I, I love that. Like, it, is it real, quote-unquote? It doesn't matter. It feels really good. It's artistically conceived and aesthetically successful. Uh, I don't have, like, a ton to say about the Darksaber or Bo-Katan and like what, what's going on there. I do want to say, just just Filoni, hear me out. This is my new segment. Oh, great. Filoni, hear me out. Mm-hmm. And spoilers for the second episode of Mandalorian. What about Favre? Do you want Favreau listening no, or is this Dave. earmuffs for just Favreau? Dave. Okay. Just Dave. Yeah. I know Favreau wrote it, but Dave, I'm talking to you. It's time to, to, to build the great bridge between the Mandalorian and Andor universe. And when you, you had an opportunity to do so, mm-hmm. when He's like, go fly back to Bo-Katan's planet and get her, little mm-hmm. Grogu. Mm-hmm. And Grogu's like, my arms, they're not big. I cannot fly. But it's like, you got a droid for that, right? Yeah. And Grogu's way of navigating the galaxy is just by like pointing at the planet. Yeah. How fucking sick would it have been if Grogu was like pointed at the Miami Andor planet? Yeah. Where Cassian got arrested and was just like... I think I want to go there. And they start playing that like super sick Mario Kart music. (laughs) And then it basically becomes like a 20-minute sequence like out of Billy Crystal and uh, Gregory Hines' Running Scared when they go down (laughs) to the Keys. Incredible movie. Also, uh, Shine Sweet Freedom. Yeah. The soundtrack. Shine Sweet Freedom's playing Baby Yoda on the beach, sipping Mai Tais, hanging out with with, with all sorts of characters. tropical space bugs. Yeah, exactly. And then he goes and gets Bo-Katan and gets, you know, gets everything settled down. I would embrace that Mm -hmm. for any number of reasons. I want more Ando content. Oh, Andalorian. Yeah, Yeah, it's there. I mean, again, like, you have an entire galaxy and you have Mandalore, Andor, and Endor. It's like, guys, use the whole dictionary. (laughs) So many letters. Anyway, I would appreciate that because then there would at least be some inspired madness or poetry to the navigation systems of this show because it is the thing that I'm starting to bump up against with it is because it's the volume starting to and because okay we're starting today (laughs) every day is a new day for us 
You're in the volume. You can go anywhere. You can show anything. You're already existing in a space universe that, to my mind at least, I'm sure that, that like the hardcore um, non-Bumble users of our audience can tell me otherwise. But like, <laughs> it seems like the fuel isn't an issue. You just press a button and you can go anywhere in a yeah, galaxy. There's not a lot of gas stations, right? There. Which yeah. also makes collisions, like when they were temporarily fighting the pirate Broccoli King last week, and he's just like, "I've got you now," and he's like. Ding! <laughs> and then he just goes 10 billion space miles away and the broccoli guy's like, argh, I'll get you next time uh-huh. in infinite space. So it's just kind of limitless. So that the fact that when they got, I get why we went to visit Amy Sedaris to be like, hey, do you have the thing? And she's like, nope, bit, bit, bit. See you next time. Fine, everybody's happy to see her. But when they get to back to like Mandalore space and he's like, see this dot on my tiny screen, that's where we were last week. I'm like, this is an inefficient use of space fuel. So your concern is the energy crunch. Yes. Yeah. A million percent. But it's not just the, I, I, I could do that. Yeah. That's available to me to go on that tear. Okay. It's really more just like- What zigz- happens when Gazprom turns off the faucet? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, when the empire is like, nope, sorry, Western Coruscant, you can't have this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> What's Chancellor Biden going to do then? Huh? Rip from the headlines of the show. No, it's just more like, it's just kind of janky. Do you it's know like, somewhere a guy has his AirPods in and he's got his nose deep in yeah. an ep- issue of Beyonder and he just looked up he's like, don't you understand how fuel cells in the galaxy <laughs> work? Issue of Beyonder? It's like Steve Buscemi holding up a comic book called Comic Book. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're thinking this is? Hey, what's up, fellow geeks? Right. So, no, no. It, my My point is just like the... The show is at its best, and the little baby Yoda's doing some stuff, and Din Djarin's fighting some guys, and then when it becomes like, go see the lady we saw last week sitting on a throne for my magic sword that will unite people who don't take their masks off. I'm right. like, okay. I, it loses me. I, I like my energy, and I know this, is a, this might not be the most popular opinion, but I like this show best as a case of the week, essentially, children's show. Yeah. And I say that not because I'm still standing for Bluey, let's not say children's show. Let's say family show. Like, anybody can watch this. I don't, I don't think that this show should be every week Mando and Yoda go to a new place where townsfolk are being harassed by a villain and right. Mando seven samurais it. <laughs> okay. But if that was the show, yeah. I don't know that I would be disappointed. I know. It was that show. I know. Let's go to the squid planet and eat some... There was... But now but now it's about more than that. It's about the Darksaber it's and its legacy. And it's about whether or not you believe the, in a creed or not. The, you know? We don't need to spend any more portions of a podcast bemoaning the thing that exists that isn't the version of it that we would have wanted. What's, what's a little bit tantalizing about this is that Mandalorian was never going to be my number one favorite show on television. But for the first season, it, I mean, I think it was in my top 10 because it was this. And I do think it had a very high acclaim because it did bring back something to Star Wars that I think Star Wars needed, which was a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of exploration, non-weighted by whatever. And, you know, and like, oh, we, we're, we're not... Drawing pre- down on these big Greedos, we're, just putting them in their place, you know? We're, we're not pretending that the weird space Muppets didn't... We're not pretending they don't exist. We're still going to the squid planet and drinking chowder from the tube straight Hot and fresh from the tube, from the chowder tube. Should we talk a little bit about Perry Mason before Matthew Reese joins us? I think we should. One of the highlights of my young year so far, mm. aside from 
testing negative for the coronavirus <laughs> after an extended <laughs> period of time was you just being like, I fucking love Perry Mason. And we should have done it like Ozark, right? I know. Like I should have. You should have surprised me. I really just threw it into a text. Uh, Perry Mason returned, uh, as I said, on Monday. You're hearing this on Thursday. And, you know, I think for the first season, it was a little slow out of the gate. So this was like, this has been a property that has been in development for a very long time. The, uh, Robert Downey and his wife, Susan Downey, a, produ- a big-time producer, they've, they've kind of shepherded it for a while. It was supposed to be him. Nick Pizzolatto wrote the pilot, it, I believe. He was going to work on it. This was supposed to be... Downey's television star mm-hmm. turn. And I think that the first season, you can see the push and pull of all the various things that they kind of wanted the, this to be. Should this be the anti-hero Perry Mason? Should this be the origin story of a legendary character? At what point do we want this guy to get into a courtroom? And it's a, it's a long few hours before he turns into Perry Mason. Yeah, And when he turns into Perry Mason in the first season, but even before that, I, I enjoyed. And the reason I enjoyed it not only because of the just obvious satisfaction of having a courtroom drama that's reliable, but like well-written, is because it was taking this sort of widescreen view of society in the 1930s in Los Angeles and saying, you know, how is that reflective of our times now? But also, like, how can we, like, investigate sort of the history of this place being built, Mm -hmm. Chinatown-esque in some ways. And I think that that kind of idea is deeply infused into the second season immediately. Like you, you, like as soon as it starts, you're like, oh, they're trying to get the Dodgers to come to town, yeah. and there's Chavez Ravine, and there's these rich, like despots and, who are living in Beverly Hills, and yeah, they've the, got it, like it, the city, like, and they're living on top of a place that has always been deeply Mexican, and that fraught relationship yeah. between race and class, it it runs right into the best version of itself yeah. in the season. You're exactly and, right, I, and I, I, you characterized it well. Like I admired so much of it, especially Matthew Reese's performance, but. And a lot of the performances, great Julia actors. Rylance, Chris Chalk, yeah. I love them. Um, and I love them even more in the season because this season it really feels like it is becoming what it was meant to be. And it's such an interesting, it's not a time capsule because it's alive in front of us, but it's an interesting artifact of a very strange and fluid moment in television where you feel the forces of the last 10 years of prestige TV weighing on it in that it is, it's Perry Mason. It is a IP character doing essentially a courtroom drama, but HBO is doing it. So what does that mean? It means the budgets go up. It means the attention to detail and period uh, go way up. But HBO is also developing it through the 20 teens, which means that it has to have a level of darkness. Mm -hmm. It has to have an origin story. And the thing that I, I don't have a fix for this, but I am really struck by the fact that this is the show it wanted to be. And I feel like the creators would admit it, but they also felt that because the way TV was ordered and considered, you needed the eight or nine episode runway to get here where he's milking cows and, you know, and working for John Lithgow, who I was shocked to find out was not returning for the season based on my deep watching of the first season up to episode four. But you know what? You are a testament to the fact that this show is like, you know, I know that some people are probably like, do I have to watch all the first season if I want to get in on the second? And it helps, but you can probably watch the summary videos. Yes, which is quite exhaustive. But, um... The thing is, suddenly we're, it just feels unshackled. It's, it's, it's beautifully shot in Los Angeles in period. And it's Matthew Reese and Juliet Rylance and Chris Chalk, three actors who I would watch do anything yeah. and have watched do many and things. And Shea Wiggum. Yeah. And the great Shea Wiggum. Oh, I mean, all the people on the margins, Justin Kirk, it goes down the line. Yeah, but tell those, me Dewey, yeah. But those three particularly in an office, fighting for good, but also drinking a lot of whiskey, um, 
I'm already sold. Yeah. And then there's just these things that start to come into focus, like watching Matthew Reese milk cows while Terrence Blanchard tootled on his horn first season was nice, but felt a little bit like a luxury item. Now, when he's like sneaking around by the docks and riding his motorcycle with these big goggles like he's in Lost Highway, suddenly the jazz score is just like, yes, you are doing this to the fullest and it feels great. It's really entertaining. It's, it's, it's like, I, you were you used the word luxury, it feels luxurious to me. Like, like every, the, the costuming, the lighting, the locations, the production design, the cinematography, like everything feels kind of like top notch. And yeah, you're right. Like you can watch Juliet Rylands like walk into a room and like pick up a piece of paper and oh, walk out so and good. she's so good. So, uh, and we should say that like the other changes were behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right? The two guys that created The Nick, one of our favorite shows of the last 10 years. Um, yeah, maybe in the entirety of this podcast. Possibly yeah. came in to take over season two. Um, a lot of other, in, you know, they just, they just got the house in order in a different way. And it makes sense. And yeah, it, there's something kind of interesting about how this is an antidote to our tourist TV because it's just like so many people have worked on this already. Yeah. And yet it's good. Because it's a TV show. <laughs> yeah. It's ultimately... This is a gourmet cheeseburger, but maybe it's like a deconstructed cheeseburger yeah. that's like a hamburger steak because they wouldn't pretend that it's the same thing. But it is. And through two episodes only, like one of the things that really impresses me is at the start of anything, particularly at the start of something that is now unshackled from an origin story with new creators coming in, that's the most fraught moment. Like you could put your arms around anything. What do you choose? And I think that with a real skill of the essentially second pilot, the reboot of 201, is they chose really well. Mm-hmm. They chose a really good story that touches all the aspects of society. And you have a character, you have three characters who traverse all aspects of society, both Perry Mason because of who he is and his background, and then Juliet Rylance's character, Della, who is a closeted lesbian who also wants to be a lawyer, and Chris Chalk, who was a cop in the first season a PI, yeah. uh, and is now sort of their private investigator, but as a black man has a very different relationship with uh, uh, systems of power in the city. They can navigate it in the way that classic mystery characters do. And I love that. The luxury thing, I do want to continue to talk about through the season because, look, as the consumer and viewer, I am not complaining. Give me this. Give me more seasons Mm -hmm. of this. Let this go. As the industry watcher that we've been masquerading as for a lot of this podcast, I'm like, this is expensive. Period is really expensive. Period that looks this good with these stars in California is wildly expensive. And it's on a Monday night's. Like, ah. I, does any of it matter anymore? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think the Monday night thing matters. I, I, I don't think that it does, but it is an admission that this show is never going to be a Sunday night anchor show. It just doesn't have the weight or stakes or cultural valence. I don't which know. Is I mean, like, it's it. like We Own the City was a Monday night show. And I guess I could, see, I take your point that it was We, we Own, Own the City. The... Ratings were minuscule. Yeah. Doesn't mean they shouldn't have done it, but I'm switching hats now. Like, I think I that, want this I think that Perry Mason could appeal to people who watch Succession, and I think it could appeal to people who watch Columbo. Yeah, this is the HBO show that if if you know if your parents watch mostly broadcast, no, this is a straw parent argument. Nobody just does this anymore. But if if your tastes don't go towards the more challenging fare, there's nothing easy about the show. But you understand, but it is a this. mystery. It's you, like how are they going to get these guys out of this jam? And yeah. the show knows not to reinvent the wheel. Like there's you know there's the scene where Shea Wiggum, who is having more fun doing the show than literally anyone else has ever had on a television show, is drinking beer with. Perry Mason and he's like he just drops a fact about the case mm-hmm. and you, and Reese's wheels are spinning maybe we'll talk to him about the playing of the scene in the upcoming interview but like it does the shoe leather part 
we understand the the detail that gets him spinning that well that means that they couldn't have done it and why and now we're going to take the measuring tape and we're going to like that's what we like in these shows it doesn't try to hide that from us or keep that from us because it's too good for it and i think that's when you see a show become what it wants to be is it chris it's a good day in america well why don't we tell matthew reese that we we think he's done it i'm gonna laying down a marker for you and kaya i'm gonna spend the first 10 minutes of our talk explaining the beyonder (laughs) and the original secret wars and how he became friends with Boom Boom, a Matthew very Reese, low-powered Ted Lasso, mutant. should there be more football? Yes or no? He'll say yes, he's Welsh. Yeah, that's true. We'll be right back with Matthew Reese. Well, as promised, we are now joined by Matthew Reese, which is kind of a th- just an absolute honor and a thrill. I don't know why I'm seeing him saying kind of. Yes. Well, thank you for the invite. Thank you for being here. Here's how much we like Perry Mason. Oh, God. And this is, this is maybe a lot to throw on you after 45 seconds of knowing you. But Andy and I were thinking of starting a whole new career path for ourselves. It's a drive time radio show, yeah. early morning. Yeah, We call it AM to the PM. 365 days a year, it's just Perry Mason talk. Whoa. Yeah. And Andy brought up the good point of what do we do the other 46 weeks of the year when Perry Mason isn't on. Yeah, I'm the guy do? with the business head, <laughs> as you can tell. You know, he's yeah. the passion guy. Right. Yeah. And I'm... That's why this works. And yes. maybe that's where you come in. Yes. You, it's just, where in the world is Perry Mason? You phone us up. You're just like, here I am. Well, you know, you know, uh, depending on how long this runs for, I can give you the play-by-play. <laughs> play. the actual show? No, this, just this, this bit, bit. We've got 40 minutes. Anyway, thanks, guys. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just wondering, like, basically, I could keep you up to date with, yeah. you know... Uh, where the scripts are, how we're doing yeah. casting, what we've got, who uh, who are the new designers in for like how it's you know, where it's going. Today I drank four shots of fake rye. <laughs> yes, I get cold and tea. Two shots of real. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like to mix it up. I I ask props to keep me on my toes. Oh, it's, <laughs> like, it's like Russian roulette, but with drinks. Exactly. I'm like, don't let me know. <laughs> does it have to? Does the fake whiskey have to be have like a syrupy kind of like viscous consistency for to work on camera or? What kind of whiskey do you drink, Chris? Yes. What kind of well, viscous whiskey? Maybe I'm thinking more of like Amaro's and and like ah, and right. like that kind of stuff. I always I do enjoy. There's always like it's the it's almost the one thing on a set that will that will include every department mm. when everyone kind of goes, "That's not right." <laughs> That's too, inevitably will annoy the props department because they're like, yeah. "Yes, it is," and 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 everyone everyone goes, "Well, it's got air bubbles," and I can see the air bubbles, and they're like, "No, you can't." And I was like, "Yes, I can. I'm standing here." <laughs> Everyone's got a strong opinion. Everyone's got a strong opinion about how it should look. Yeah. And if it, what it, what is, the, what whiskey is that if it looks like that? Right. Our, our, we're joking about AM to the PM, but our passion for the show is very strong. Uh, clearly. Yeah. Um, we're, we're ready to just give up our entire livelihood just for this. Our, I mean, AM to the PM. Yeah. I don't think it's a 12 month a year gig for you. No, no, it's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> That's the whole point. I tend to think about it about a few seconds before someone says action. <laughs> But the second season is, is so great so far. So I've watched two. I've watched two, yeah. And he's watched two. This is going up today, so it'll be before people see the second episode. But obviously the first episode ends with a, a great cliffhanger and twist yes. with... Uh, yeah. I actually know someone who knows Tommy Dewey. Oh, wow. And about halfway through the episode, I texted that person. I was like, this is great. Tommy's going to be the villain of the season. And he was like, is he? I thought he only worked for like a week on that show. And I was like, oh, and then the last scene of the first episode happens. You I was like, oh, that was abrupt. Yeah. 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 You yeah. thought maybe they were so grateful to have Mr. Dewey on set, they block shot a season worth <laughs> yes. in a week. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't describe, I don't think anybody would describe Perry Mason as a series as being like light on its feet, right? Because it is, it's a heavy show. And it's about, I am light on my yes. feet. But lighthearted. The, the show yes. itself mm. 
feels a little lighter on its feet in the second season, just in terms of like narrative pacing, the yep. mechanics of it. Did you feel that making it was that important to you? It what the you know we had some new writers come in for season two, and they said from the very first meeting that we want to we do want to lighten this up. There's there is there, there's a gallows humor to to Mason. We mm-hmm. want to explore that. There's you know we just want. Is, you know, they came with a few big rules that they wanted. They wanted to open up LA and they they wanted a lightness. It, yes, as you say, it is a dark show. Um, and especially, you know, the case of season one was especially dark. Yeah. It was, that was a hard one to Whenever find. Whenever you get babies involved, yeah. And you kill them. <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, it's hard to find the jokes. Yeah. And, yeah, not I'm sure honest. they've tried. They tried. We tr- I tried. <laughs> and they kept saying that's not. Very appropriate. And they asked to bring the fake whiskey back in. Yeah, yeah, or real whiskey. Like, shut him down. <laughs> shut him down. But it almost feels, is it freeing to get past the origin story? You know, yeah. in, in some ways. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, I mean, I had I had great, not great concern, but I had a, a deal of concern that's like, once you get past that, mm-hmm. well, now what do you do? Like, do we fall into a rut? Does he now... You know, we have the kind of Charlie's Angels moment at the end of season one where like they're in the office, yeah. things on the door, off we go. And then and then do we just pick up and he's winning cases? Because I it's not what I wanted at all. Yeah. And one of the other things they came in and they said, look, no, let's not start there. Let's start somewhere else and let's start Mason somewhere else, which was I was very happy about. Um so but to the spirit of that, the Charlie's Angels thing, there is. I, I'm sure that you loved working with the cows in season one, and I, I love have, that. I, I have. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yes, um, but I'm saving them for the. You know the the, AM to the, PM. the slow months. Oh, well, yeah. well, of course, right. of course. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. D- dairy month. The not AM to the PM. <laughs> Can we get a sponsorship for that? Oh dude? my goodness, this thing's gonna go. This is really going yes. to work. Yes, but there's something to Chris's point that I just I felt. Rela- the show relaxing into what it wanted to be. Right. You know, you and Chris and Juliet in this room is so exciting mm-hmm. because I'm a fan of all of your work and the characters are dynamic and it does feel like there's a different sort of momentum. Um, do you credit that with the experience of having all worked together and have a sense of these characters and where you want to take them or did it really begin with the writer saying, this is the lens we're going to be shooting this season through? I, th- I, th- I think a little bit of both in that it's, it's so great when you do come back to a second season, you know, the luxury of coming back to a second season and you have the, that six months under your belt of knowing, you know, how you all like to work and how you do work and how you work best. And it's great. You get all that out of the way. You have that foundation work laid. And then they kind of said, the, okay, these are the conflicts we want to put within the triumvirate so that, you know, there's there's a lot going on between the three of you. It's just, you know, it's la- it's layering the, laying the steak you're going to get your teeth into. Yeah. Do you, I was, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Los Angeles as both a setting, but also as such a huge element of the story. Mm. You know, Perry Mason is obviously an intimidating, iconic character in the history of American mystery culture and fiction, but LA is too, you know, like you've got the novels of James Elroy, you've got Chinatown, you've got Raymond Chandler, you've got, it's, it's essentially the canvas on which a lot of modern mystery has been painted anyway. What do you feel like you guys were trying to do with this season differently and and how 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 much was the sort of reputational figure of Los Angeles as a a character in these stories in the past looming over you at all I mean it's it's hard it does it does have those very kind of potent reference points you know going in and as soon as you start saying as soon as you I remember in season 1 we would say oh it's set in the 30s Evan just goes oh Chinatown yeah. do you know what I mean <laughs> and 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 Tim Van Patten you know who was instrumental in kind of setting up 
really leaned into Chinatown. He said, yeah, I'm going to... He put on a screening for the entire cast and crew before we started shooting because mm-hmm. I want to screen Chinatown. I'm going for... Like, let's not be ashamed of... Let's, you know, steal from the best. I think that's cool. Uh, yeah, and he was he was right to do that. And, and, and when they said, you know, when the initial interview I, I had with the whole team about season one and they said, we're going back to the origins of the books, we're going to put it in LA in the 30s, I just thought... The 30s would be brilliant. In the, in the little knowledge that I knew, having done some research on a, another project, that you just had this kind of Klondike town and during the Depression that was booming and had this kind of incredible, vast wealth, cheek by jowl with abject poverty. I was like, that's great. I mean, dramaturgically, the setting is incredible. Yeah. And then they loaded Mason by saying, okay, the, but you know, second or third generation landowner, new world colliding. It was all, it was all fantastic. So that, that just at every turn, the city it's, and, and its evolution is lending itself in some form or another to what's going on. There's also that wonderful thing that, that our dear departed friend Tommy says. I'm so sorry to harp on him. Uh, <laughs> but in, but in, the, in the season premiere, which is fundamentally true, he's raging about this for his other reasons and he's under duress. And, but he says everyone wants to be here. Yes. And that is perpetually the thing about it. It, 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 it. This moment in its history, it's sort of a second-class kind of town. It, 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 spiritually, people are ignoring it. Baseball teams won't come to it. Yeah. But it has the spark that draws people, right. different types of people seeking to reinvent themselves or chasing dreams. Yeah. And as you said, that's extremely potent. And I yeah. love the way the show in the season, I think this was the phrase you used, throws its arms around all of it. That yeah. That there are shanty towns and, and the Mexican population, which has always been here, is now cheek by jowl up against this new money and yeah. everything else that comes with it. Yeah. And 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 that was, you know, it was, um, I have nowhere to go with it. Yeah, I was just going to agree with you. You know, it's, This is a podcast not built on conflict. <laughs> the episodes are very short. We often just affirm each yeah. other. We're just like, did you watch I, The Mandalorian? I enjoyed yes. it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. That happened. It's, yeah. it's not good radio, quote unquote. I, I, but, but I have to say, I feel very safe yeah. and very warm here. And you are seen. Ah, uh, oh, that's seen. all I will. Well, thank you. Thanks, gents. Yeah. It's been great. Bye. Great. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, yes. Uh, um... So yes, I, I mean you know, great, great kudos to to Rolling Jones and Ron Fitzgerald for for lean, leaning into that. They really did their research of the time immensely, as did you know, as did Jack and Michael in the second season, and they got very excited. You know, so much, so much of season one, the case of season one, it was based tragically on on uh, a real case in in Los Angeles. So this kind of the history of the place just is a, is a gift that keeps on giving for them. You know, you mentioned doing research for another project uh, and then that you had kind of been drawn into that. I was wondering, because uh, you honestly just seem like a very interesting person, an interested person, like how much of the thrill of taking on any given role is wrapped up in getting to dive into learning about, I mean, I'm sure with the Americans, you must have done a fair share of like Cold War spy reading and 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 looking into that era of history. But for for Perry Mason, I mean, you can, I mean, you could spend your whole life just going through like the greats of Los Angeles crime fiction or reading about the history of... And that's what we'll be doing on the podcast <laughs> yeah. yes. every June. Chavez Ravine, part e- nine. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- those are the real kind of golden nuggets and the bonuses of those jobs. Yeah. Like the Americans, when when they give you the premise, you go, oh my God, that's juicy. And and for me, they say, I've always been attracted to kind of... Uh, Los Angeles is a pioneer town and and how it emerged and the way it did uh, uh, and and the kind of 
dizzying corruption yeah. <laughs> that kind of came with it in the, in the kind of Wild West way it was, it, it, it evolved. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was always been, I, and I've always loved this just, just from a romantic point of view. I've always loved LA in the thirties and, and, and what that was and the stories of kind of Chaplin, Errol Flynn and, and Fairbanks Jr. eating at Mousson Franks and getting arrested on Hollywood Boulevard and all that stuff. I'm yeah. just, I, I'm like a, a schoolboy when it comes Did to Did you it. get a chance to see Babylon? No. Yeah. That's uh, pre- pre- a pretty, it's, a, it's, it's not quite, you know, the right. same era, but it's just a, little, a few years before and it's got some, some of the silent film stars in it. I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah. What is your personal relationship with Los Angeles? Because you, you come from Wales, you mm. live in New York now. Yeah. Obviously you've been here many times and I'm, mm. you know the work the industry that you're in often brings you here whether it's you know whether you're living here or not what did LA mean to you as a kid in growing up in a completely different country versus what it has meant to you in your relationship to it in your career it was uh, you know it was that golden place on the hill it was Camelot it was it was everything and every other bad analogy I can, <laughs> I'm clawing for but it was you know I've, in the basis terms Growing up as a small boy watching the A team, which were which were you know which this group of men you know escaped to the Los Angeles underground, which was confusing in itself. Yeah, it was incredibly exotic because you saw you saw them with palm trees, you saw perennial sunshine and beaches, and uh, and then as as my tastes have evolved, I like to hope, um, and you know I fell in love with film. It was it was it became that place that we all. You know, I found my group and it was the place we all wanted to go. And we were all desperate to go and terrified of going because what if we, it didn't work or it didn't turn out to be what we wanted. And then, you know, the first of us went to make Titanic and, and then we were, you know, because I'm going to go to LA afterwards. I'm like, tell us what it's like. <laughs> this, this is Leo DiCaprio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. No, I know another actor called Johan Griffith who, who's in uh-huh. Titanic. Yeah. So he he went he went out and he was like it's, it is it is true what they say <laughs> you've got to come and we all and then we start coming for pilot season and it was I there's still elements of Los Angeles that still give me a buzz like I'm in a movie when I when I see them um, and it, and it still holds that magic to me it 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 is like it is like a a gold mining t- a prospecting town yeah. where you can come and you can be one hammer hit away from whatever did you ever live here. Yeah, for six, seven years. Oh wow, making brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just get, just getting to drive onto lots. I mean, the first time I drove onto the Paramount lot, I I thought I was going to cry because I couldn't. It's pretty amazing, still. It really is, and we shot the season one interiors on on Paramount. So I used to just ride my bicycle around, yeah. looking at sound stages and and pretending I was Bob Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Did you continue to pretend to be Bob Evans later in the day? That, yes, yeah, I, that I, can get dicey. I, I, what time it, is the right time to stop being Bob Evans in a day? This is, is no, question. yeah, usually when the sun goes down or when a police officer is is, is telling you off. Don't these sunglasses are prescriptions? Yeah, yes, yeah. I, my apologies. So, what is the process? Um, I mean, the show looks beautiful. Yeah, um, it's just especially. I don't know if it's just. You know, having sunk into the first season, it's just it's just sumptuous. Some of the sets that we've seen already in the season, yeah. and the location shooting is so clever, and because so much of the bones of that LA are still here, they're yeah. just maybe underappreciated or not seen. Yeah, what is that process like coming to set? I mean, th- this is a we don't do many we the town. I, I'm I'm in this town. There just there, there's fewer and fewer period pieces being shot. It's very expensive. It's yes. very taxing. Yes, um, you've got all of it happening. So what is the experience like wandering into a place that maybe you'd been before as a civilian or as a, you know, at a different time of your life and suddenly it's 
I want to say two. Yeah, three, three. I meant three. I was testing. It. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, we went from thirty-two into th- three, three. For me, it's still thirty-two. It's yeah, I know. It's, I know. It's, it's, I'm a stickler. That's classic yeah, Mason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. yeah, he lives his life like it's thirty-two. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm incredible. Like, I'm like a giddy schoolboy. There were times. There was the New Year's Eve party in season one when I I walked in and kind of was a gaper. You know, I felt I felt like I could see. Uh, you know. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. <laughs> or Edelfin at any given moment. That, that is the beauty of HBO uh, I, I, and I will salute them till the day I pass that they just go for it. That they're willing to write those checks in order to make those <laughs> yeah. productions look how they should. And you walk into these wildly extravagant sets that have taken so long to be built and they're dressed, every inch is dressed, every every background artist the same. And you it it... it it only aids you as, a, as an actor. Yeah. You, you're, there's no suspension. You can just believe that you're in that place at that time. There are a couple of other instances. One, like the first time I went to Moussa and Franks on, on Hollywood Boulevard. For those who don't know, it's one, if I'm not wrong, one of the old, if not the yeah. oldest. It's the iconic like steakhouse, yeah. Yes, it's on Hollywood Boulevard that was frequent, frequented by, you know, the, the, the golden age of silent movie stars. Um, and I remember going there for the first time. So then when I returned... And we took it over for Mason and they dressed it. And everyone, I walked in and I just went, oh, I had that moment. <laughs> magic. It was magic. And it, it's rare these days that you have exactly that, these moments of magic of why you got into it, of sitting in a, in a dark cinema going, oh my God, that looks incredible. I think that's the, the beauty of the show this season. It's just the, the title cards, the detail. I, I've spent an episode when you're in the courtroom staring at the faces that they found in yeah. 2022 yeah. to be on the jury. Yes. And I'm like, what are these guys doing the rest of the year? We'll find out on our oh, podcast. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but, it's, but these are faces from yeah. the 30s. It's they've, yes. they've done it. And I imagine walking into that room, you've got a, a full yeah. set. Well, there, there's even like ahead. a, in, I can't remember if it's one or two, but there's a quick scene where it's you, Justin Kirk, and Juliet Rylance, and you're in either not the city hall building or the it's the drink after the it's yeah, the yeah. drink after mm-hmm. and it's just like where is that is that I'm sure it's like a bank downtown or some place right. but the way that yeah. you guys have it done and it's so alive like yes. there's so much background action and stuff like happening but it's also like that's the budget of a small movie sure. for you to be like I'm tired of having this whiskey and, leave, and leaving <laughs> yes yes ba- yes no, that's great <laughs> that, the, yeah it 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 uh, it it really is like every department has got it was just you know, meticulous in, in, in their execution. There was the other, the other time I was very fortunate. I, when I lived in LA, I had, I used to own horses and kept them in Griffith Park in, 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 um, that's a Sunset Ranch. So you can't just drop that on No, us. I'm, I'm going to, <laughs> I just back. did. Yes. <laughs> so yes. This, this, I'm looking for from the AM to the PM, just doing the horse episode. Um, and we went back to Sunset, they took over Sunset Ranch and, uh, you know, because, Beechwood Canyon was meant to be this kind of ba- this alpine village yeah. for you know for for the movie stars and and that was going to be their stable so we they dressed Sunset Ranch and I had the same thing w- walking to Musso and Frank's where you just saw all these people dressed that way and I just for a moment I could yeah. believe I was in the 30s oh yeah I mean you could still see it like we used to work uh, our old office was in the Sunset Gower studios oh wow and. I think our boss's office, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but his office was Frank Capra's old office. Now, I think they've done some stuff to the office itself, but maybe like that's where he was. Yeah, wow. yeah they, they had some air conditioning. And then, you know, Gower Gulch there, that's basically, I think, where they would just 
do all the cowboy stuff, you know, like yeah. all the Western yeah. stuff. It's amazing. It really, are either of you two Angelinos? No, we're no, both no. from East Philadelphia. Coast. Oh, right, East Coast. right. Yeah. Wow. What was LA for you growing up? Um, I was always incredibly skeptical about it and came out here for work and even now go through, I think, multi-year cycles of liking it to loving it to hating it. You know, like, How long have you been here? 11 years. Right. Yeah. And then right. he he came out a little bit later yeah, and we were both, loves it. Yeah, we were both New Yorkers for a long time in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, no way. When I visited the Americans thing, I would walk from my apartment to set. It was a dream. Oh, wow. You know, and, uh, but I always thought this was maybe similar to you, like a completely made up place. Yeah. And then incredibly romantic because of that. So whether right. it's from fiction or movies, but then you'd come out here and nothing makes sense and everything feels kind of good. But then when night falls and the air smells like flowers and there's palm trees, mm. there's this sense of possibility that yeah. maybe people doing the reverse to New York might feel in the city, but it just felt so alien that it was intoxicating. And you get yes. 35 minutes of traffic to drive six blocks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but then you get out of the car and it smells like flowers again. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, yes, still, I, I'm still charmed. Really? I, yeah. Right. I don't want uh, how to long be you been here cold now? ever again. I right. think I tell people, my first impulse is to say two years, but it's been six. Wow. Because there's no sense of time anymore. Right. Uh, no, there isn't. That was the other really thing. It really isn't. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. But, but I do I do love it. So I wanted to ask you, this is maybe a little bit of a high concept question, but oh, one God. of the things that's interesting about this first episode, especially with Perry, is this trepidation he has about getting back into criminal law yeah. and obviously has scar tissue from the first case that he handled in the previous season. Yeah. And I think obviously is like traumatized by that, but also knows it's destructive for people around him to be around him when he's yeah. going through those cases. Yeah. And to not put too fine a point about it, I wondered if there's any ever similarities to choosing roles and whether or not you ever have trepidation, even with somebody like a character like Perry, you know, where you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's going to be like a, a dark suit to wear for a long time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, yes. The, the short answer is yes. There's always trepidation for, for, for many different reasons. But I'm always won over by by if if the script is there, I'm I'm won over. Yeah. If I want to know what happens at the end, if you're invested, all the you know usual cliches. But yeah, but also when they pitched Mason, they said, "Look, we're going to load his bases. He's going to be a World War One veteran, you know, struggling to keep the family's farm." And everything they said, I was like, with every fact they gave me about what they were going to do to his backstory, I was like, I'm in. I'm in deeper. I'm definitely in. I'm in over my head. What do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> so I was, it was just, those kind of parts don't come a long way. It's like a tractor beam. Like oh my just, God. Yeah. yeah. There's so much to be playing at any one time that how, how you know, the, he's alienated within his own city, the beginning and the change he's witnessing. And it was just, it was just everything. And continue and continues to be. There's so you know. The, I love that when they said, "Look, he's going to be suffering from some serious imposter syndrome." Did he do the right decision? Haunted by by what's happened. I was like, "Okay, great. This is exactly where we should be picking up." Also, Chris, this is an adventurous man. He owned horses, <laughs> That's right. which he's tried to distract us from <laughs> for the last four yeah, minutes. So of are we talking answers. about casual riding around Griffith Park horses, or yeah. take him to? No, no, they were casual. I bought two Mustangs out of the, out of the prison program. The like you, the, the US horses were in prison. <laughs> They were, they were. I got what, them. I got what them did out they of. Do? They didn't do anything. Did they you were, do this as Perry Mason? Like you got them? You I, I did. Them? I did. I yeah. did. Come on, guys, we're getting out of here. Fine <laughs> law. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, there's about five or six uh, prisons in the U.S. that have a, a wild Mustang program that where the, where they yeah where they take because the, you know the BLM is struggling with Mustang numbers, so prisons take in uh, wild Mustang and then they re rehabilitate. 
uh, you know, inmates uh, with the horse at the same time. So the, the horse... It's like is, equine therapy almost. It, it's yeah. incredible. Okay. I watched it firsthand. It really is incredible. And then they're given 90 days to kind of gentle the horse and then at the end of three months, they sell... They sell. So I went... Have you ever seen um, Notting Hill? Yeah. Remember when Hugh Grant says, I'm here with horse and hound? <laughs> A friend of mine worked for horse and hound and called me up and said, look, we can't afford to come to Carson. Nevada. Times have been tough since Notting Hill. Yes. Kind of through the spotlight on horse and hound. Well, yes, <laughs> it mocked them in, yeah. in a cruel way. Uh, they, she said, would you be willing, would you be interested in going to go into Carson, Nevada to do a, an, an, uh, write an article for horse and hound? I was like, yeah. So I went, I you know, always, you know, I loved horses and ridden horses. So I went and I saw this one Native American gentleman came out with two, he trained two horses, and then I found myself with my hand in the air bidding on them as my friends going, "What are you doing? What are you doing? We're going to keep these horses." And and you do you still have the horses? I don't. Sadly, one passed away, and then one is now living the life of Riley in Malibu. Okay, incredible. This also reminds me that there was a period when you were very busy with the Americans, and then you suddenly showed up on the bastard executioner. I believe, was that on horseback? Uh, no, I, I did ask. They were like, you, you know, the classic. Because I got says, a horse if you guys need me. Yes. Like, the so it's goes, a tax write-off yeah. then if uh, yeah. you bring your own horse. Yes, <laughs> bring me own. Yeah, yeah. We shot that in Wales at home actually, ironically. Uh, but yeah, no, the, that was an, a classic moment where an actor goes, of course I can ride a horse. And for once, <laughs> production went, he's lying. <laughs> yeah. This guy. Yeah, forget it. It does seem like we're, we're in a new era of... Uh, Horses, I mean, like, as I was thinking when you were talking about the Banshees from Inishir and the donkey in that film has now been given, like, a lifetime, mm. like, retirement gift from Martin wow. McDonough. No and, way. Yeah, and I was like, man, it, maybe it pays to be a four-legged animal in Hollywood these days. Yeah, wow. It's Well, it's it's, it's, it's better than a 401k, I, I think, they go. historically. Yeah. No. Know, I don't no. think Mr. Ed was <laughs> given a pension. No. no. I mean, there was, was not. Turned into glue. I do have to ask, because there, there is a, there's a through line here where we've noticed that you say yes to things, which is probably a very good um, attitude for an actor uh, in, in scene work and things. But yeah. you said you suddenly found yourself owning horses. Yeah. Um, just before we sat down with you, I, I was in a meeting and I mentioned that you were coming in to do a podcast with us. And the person said, I've been on his boat. <laughs> and I said, excuse me? This is a, this is a very busy actor. This is, uh, who, who, who's uh, been on my boat? <laughs> a, 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 a producer named Michael Peretz. And he says, I, I don't know him, but I, uh, some friends, we went on a charter. Yeah. On, and he says, I think Matthew Reese owns Ernest Hemingway's boat or something. And so I said, this is incredible. He said, by the way, tell him five stars. <laughs> Best oh, afternoon they've had in a oh, while. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear. But I then immediately Googled Matthew Reese boat. Yeah. It didn't autofill that. It's a <laughs> horse was the suggestion. <laughs> but it said boat. And then we read. The, I read this incredible article, I hope our listeners find as well, in the New York Times. Yeah. About you, you can tell it better than I can, but you, you have a boat. You just bought a boat. God. Well, I've actually bought it five years ago. It's, I was, I was foolishly and drunkenly scrolling as I, I'm want to do, kind of looking at boats, okay. online, <laughs> some for sale. And then I came across. Uh, uh, do you a, just Google boats and see what happens? Yeah, no, I do. You, I do the usual, you yeah, know, the classics. I even look at eBay sometimes, okay, because wow. you you have these weird and wonderful boats pop up on eBay. And I was on eBay one late night drinking, and this and a wheel of Playmate popped up, which was the same class of boat that Hemingway had. And I knew they were built in Brooklyn. There's not many of them left. They were built in the 30s. And there was there was one for, for sale, you know, relatively reasonably priced for what it was. And I, in this mad moment, I bought it, and I had I, I had these giddy rose tinted notions that 
I would bring this wooden boat back to Brooklyn, back to life, and people could go aboard and have a 1930s experience on a boat that was built in Brooklyn, circumnavigate the you know the Statue of Liberty while drinking Hemingway's fa- favorite cocktail. This is lovely. But now I don't want to. Actually, I was going to say I don't want to make this a maritime podcast. I do. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yeah. So I, I have to ask, like, this is the rose-tinted version. Yes. The, and, and you're feeling warm. You're having a drink. Yes. You've, you've done this thing. Yeah. yeah. When does the hangover start? Yeah, when like, does the it, cold you, like, splash of water Like, I'm going to have to—my wife is sleeping upstairs. She's, I'm going to have to say, honey, I bought a boat. Like, yes. What, what, what is the psychology well, of this? The next morning, was the, that was pretty much—there was a lot of kind of— um, Funny story. Uh, you know— Boats. Um, <laughs> Historically, know. a great investment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bear, there's a lot of bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> what yeah. if I told you it was high? wooden? Yeah. Oh, 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 it was octaves. Octaves my, were being scaled. My cousin's like, husband does a thing that we've that she would call the uh, the airplane coming in for landing, where he gets a little high yeah. when he's apologizing. <laughs> yeah. and yes. Okay. There was a lot. You remember that, you told me Farewell to Arms is your favorite novel? Well, <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of ways into this. Farewell to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's. So, have you ever heard of this? Say, um, do you like cars? Uh, I, I'll I'll take a look. He's okay, a, he's a boat have you ever guy. heard of uh, Bring a Trailer? No. So this is a site that essentially, uh, in a lot of cases, the price of the car is that you have to then go get it. You know, right? But the cars are like 1983 BMW with 375 thousand miles and bullet holes, and you're just Ooh. like, but. <laughs> I can see the promise. Yes. And I have spent so many nights at 1245 just like almost, 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 you know, they had like Frank Ocean, the Frank Ocean BMW, the orange one was on there. Like there, and like, it's like, sometimes you'll just come across and you're like, that's Sonny Crockett's Lamborghini. Like, I don't know (laughs) how this is happening, but it's just, but it's like completely broken down. You have to go get it and then you invest into like, but and to refurbishing it, I Google sports scores today, and I don't. You guys are incredibly romantic. But okay, so so you have this boat, yeah, and it's not as ro- it. It was a multi-year process. It was a mu- yeah. It wasn't meant to be. I had a I had a, a wooden boat shipwright picked out to to do it. He 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 couldn't do it. Got another one. He couldn't do it. And at this point, I had this I had this incredible captain who runs the business. You know, she said, look. There's enough YouTube videos out there. You and me can restore this boat. And I was like, God, <gasps> what does it feel like to have someone say that to you? I, Terri- I, I live my whole life dreaming of that. <laughs> terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Because I'm like, I played a carpenter once. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a lot of that. Right. Um, and, and God bless her, Captain Kelly Farwell. She was the one who kind of went, look, this is what we do. This is, what we, this is how we do it. And we took three years to, to restore was her. It, did it become like, Fun? Did it become like something no, you really? Know? No, it was never <laughs> ever fun. Okay, it was a lot of tears on my behalf because uh, when I would go, I can't do this. <laughs> be like, put yourself together. <laughs> yeah, but now it's you have a boat. Now I've guy's been on it. I know people charter the boat and go out and have cocktails and listen to gramophone records in New York Harbor. I'm, Sounds I'm, ju- I always all I do when we're chartering is I just wait. Kelly, Captain Kelly, to call me going, we're going down! <laughs> and it's and the water's coming in the bow from that bit you did. <laughs> Do, would you just just quietly put the phone down at that point and like yes. say, let's continue the scene? I'd be like, uh, Chris I, and oh, Juliet. No, the call reset. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your uh, castmates? On yes, Mason? absolutely. It's just an awesome ensemble. Yes. And there's one person in particular, I think we'll go through a couple, but I want to talk to you about Shea Wiggum. Oh. Does Shea Wiggum know that he was born to be in Perry Mason and to be <laughs> yeah. walking around in those clothes smoking rolled up cigarettes and- I've never seen anyone having more fun at anything in my life than him eating 
or drinking oh on your God. show? Oh my God, no one. I, I said to him, I said, you should do a course at NYU just called <laughs> Eating and Drinking for Film and Television. <laughs> yes. Or Smoking for Film yeah. and Television. Who he does will, it better? This is, what I'll, this is what I'll say to Shay Wiggum and his dedication. He will smoke when he's doing offlines. <laughs> and I've, I'm like... You Chris would do that right now. I'm yeah, like, seriously. the camera can't see you. He goes, I know. <laughs> he's amazing. That's a really good Shea Wiggum. He's, I, I, I relish those scenes with him because no one... Like, he's, he, view, he views these episodes like meals, rich meals to be devoured. And he just, the relish in him, it, it ignites in me because no one, no one does it. Like he we, does stuff like where it, there's a the scene he does with, um, I think with Chris actually, and he walks yeah. off and like, I'm just like, he's, it's just an exit. You know, it's like nothing really, but I'm like, he knows exactly how to walk off. Yeah. This is unreal, man. Like yeah. he just seems like he was born to be in these, in these scenes. I would yeah. never want to share a meal with him because if he didn't tuck his napkin <laughs> oh my God. violently into his collar, yeah. then what are we doing? No, nothing. There's no point eating. He'd be insulted. No. The him when the, the days when it was he him, me and Lithgow, I would it would just gold. And just we sometimes we couldn't do it because we were laughing so, so hard. Who's making everyone break? Is it him? Uh, no, that it? was a round robin. Yeah. That oh, was yeah. a beautiful triumvirate of corpses who were just <laughs> as when the glint comes into the eye got we're gone because because I'll give it to Wiggum he can he will stay the course yeah he, whenever when the world is collapsing around him he can stay he he is not distracted but well, for some reason the just just the, the chemistry of me him and Lithgow was not, that's great not great for I mean there, there's so many people I would want to, I mean the, one of the things with, the, with Wiggum was there's a scene that Andy and I were actually talking about on the pod before you drop by but it's just Perry is fishing a little bit like he's sort of he's got he's got Shay's character over and he's they're, they're just talking about horse diving which had a, oh, like an emotional valence oh for you yeah. Yeah. that I think I didn't realize I'm gonna rewatch the scene <laughs> yes yeah well yeah has a deeper resonance yeah. for me, because but. it's got a body of water and a horse I mean it's know? everything like could the horse land on the boat <laughs> if, if he could land on a boat it would be everything I can imagine you going home to your wife and saying so I just had this vision that, uh, what if horses want to be on the water <laughs> yes what if what are the horse on my boat Let's are we combine. charging too much for this boat service could we just offer it as equine therapy yes. for the horses. Yes, for yeah. the horse. Could people sit on the horse while on the boat? <laughs> but there's it's this great moment where you're Perry is almost becoming Perry despite himself. Like he kind yes. of wants to just sit there and have a drink with his friend, mm. but he's also lightly probing about, hey, you know how tall this guy was? Or was he a lefty? And like, do what it where you know, where do they have the car? And yeah. like these little bits and it's just such a it's such a wonderful moment of like coming back into that character. It, it's actually also I think something that I have loved for a while now in your acting, which is it was always present in the Americans too. There's a it's you can see a methodical mind at work between the lines and selling that you know that you're thinking of something and yeah. you can feel the gears turning and the audience is made welcome into that process. Like yeah. you're not ahead of us, right. and you're not telegraphing, right. but we're going on that journey. It's a yeah. It's a very, I feel like there's a question in here about a very specific and subtle type of acting that I don't even know how I would phrase it. Right? I, don't, I don't even know if I could explain it. <laughs> because yeah. But you're, you're present in the moment, I guess. But yeah. you're doing, because we talked about it earlier in the podcast and the concept of like the shoe leather of the show, which I'm so happy that it embraces. I, you're you're going to go A to B to C yes. with the case. But you're doing that even before the next scene begins with Perry's mind. Right, I, I, and and listen, I, to me, that's all in the writing. They're just they're just teeing it up. But it's one of the beauties, I think, of of having it in the time period that we are, and that that I love, and and it's what I used to love in those old, in, you know, in those old kind of 
crime series is that you have you you are with you know the protagonist as, as he is figuring it all out the like technology's out the window and we're going to be with he's him he's got to get his tape measure out he's got to get the tape measure out yeah. you know i i i love all that i, I just think it it's it, it goes back to what it should be where the audiences feel part of yeah it. i think perry mason with a iphone would be pretty short yes yeah yeah it is. oh yeah oh mason would throw that thing you know yeah. at a wall or 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 you know wiggum very quickly yeah or, or he'd have like an apple newton right like a slightly out of out of date yeah, yeah that's right yeah be a little more vintage yeah yeah dallas like when are you getting rid of the flip phone <laughs> exactly yeah. did you have anything else you wanted to do well i just uh is this the sort of so the the idea of perry mason it's been you know, for the the previous actor for Raymond Burr who played the party, played it for decades. Yeah, there's a world where this show we just get to yeah. have more and more and more of it. Is that, you know, this is in the hands of HBO and the creators, and it's yep. a very different TV moment. Yes, but is there a world where you would, would enjoy returning to it again and again? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, as gratifying as it is, and, and it, it is, you know, incredibly, absolutely. You know, my my thing, maybe you know, it's. Is a lot of actors want this, and sometimes it's a little spo- spoiled to want it. But if we keep twisting on on this theme, yeah. I, I'm in for you know till kingdom come. Well, I mean, Los Angeles is this great bounty for you, right? Oh, I mean, I was reading some of the, and I think to go too deep into them would probably give away some of the stuff from the second season, but about some of the real life historical figures that are being mirrored on the show, and and the McCutcheon family and who their kind of their analogs are, and yeah, I'm just like, wow, man, like you could make. 10 seasons before World War II about some of this stuff. It's it's wild. Yes. Like I said, the the research that they've, they've been bringing up, it, it, you could just, you could literally just take it from the history books. It's unbelievable. So the only thing that would stop us from wanting endless seasons of Perry Mason, because it is right right in our wheelhouse, it's the world that we love, it's the type of storytelling that we love, uh, is would, would it keep you from future seasons of The Wine Show? <laughs> because that's, I, I, I'm going to speak, for, yeah. I'll use I statements as I learned in college. That's the show for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. funny, funny you should say that. You know, because my mother said it's probably the. It's, I think it's probably the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> and she said it with absolute sincerity. In fact, after season one, I got, I, I was, you know, I got offered um, uh, a part in in the post Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mel Street. <laughs> so I couldn't do the second season of the wine show. So I called my mother. I said, I got good news and bad news. What's the good news? I've been offered a film with Steven Spielberg and in the film is Mel Streep and Tom Hanks. Oh, that's incredible. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is, you know, I can't do the wine tune. She went, oh no! <laughs> it would have been amazing though it's, if you'd shown up to the post set and acted like a big diva because you were so mad that you were missing out on yeah, the wine show. Yeah, yeah. So or, or if I'd bought them, the wine show people, to that to the set yeah. and we were doing bits from the set. <laughs> There's just some things that I feel like when people use whatever power they've accrued for good, and for me, the good is I'm going to just drink wine with my friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're doing it right. And I, uh, thank you for your service oh, in no, that it's, regard. It's, it's, it's the least my liver can do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I love was that Matthew, Matthew Good's brother-in-law, who's, been tr- who's a very successful pr- um, TV producer, been trying to get a wine show <laughs> made for a long time. And Matthew called me up with this idea. He goes, listen, we've got this great idea for a TV show. Hang on. Let me just put, put, put it on. Did he do this in Robert Evans' voice? Or was kind this, of. Yeah. He's yeah. like Robert Evans anyway. Yeah. 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 But he, and then, he, you know, his brother-in-law said, look, it's very simple. I'm going to have someone who knows what they're talking about and two monkeys <laughs> to drink wine. Do you want to do it? Yes or no? I was like, like, am uh, I the monkey? Yeah. Am I the monkey? He's like, of course you are. You're an actor. And I was like, oh, right. Uh, okay, then. So, yeah. Uh, the premise was simple. It's As are we. 
It's beautiful. Well, we hope it we is. get more of that. We hope we get more of Perry Mason. But uh, thank you so much for coming by. Not today. at all. It's been a real treat. We can't wait to talk to you for the next twelve months. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it <laughs> on a regular basis. AM to the PM. This is the beginning of something I love beautiful. it. <laughs> Onward to glory. Thank you. Thanks.